Morning. Our passage today is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37, um, which can be found on page 1010 in the Bibles in front of you. That's Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Epfatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened His tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Fantastic. Thank you, Sarah. My name is Stephen Dimitri. I'm the youth minister here at Bishop Harrington Church. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, I wonder, who knows about these books? The Osborne touchy-feely books. Aren't they amazing? For those of you who don't know, the basic premise is simple. You've lost your penguin in this case, and you're searching the Arctic to see if every single penguin could be your penguin. And it doesn't go very well. That's not my penguin. Its head is too silky. Oh, no. That's not my penguin. Which one's that? He's not my penguin either way. Its wings are too velvety. That's not my penguin. His feet are too rubbery. On and on your quest goes looking for your missing penguin. And get this. There's not just one book. There are over 60 of them. That's not my penguin. Piglet. Monkey. Flamingo, dragon, there's even one about a Christmas fairy. What's that about? Um, But but, but I think today, in Mark chapter 7, we may have just found another one. That's not my Jesus. I mean, anyone else kind of looking at at Mark 7 thinking, wait, what? Jesus is being pretty rude there. Dare we say it, even racist? That's not my Jesus. Uh, Ligon Duncan said, where is my Jesus? What have you done with him? This is quite shocking, isn't it? 
And so we're going to explore that this morning. Have a little look with me at verse 24. Verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, I think we kind of miss out on a lot in the Bible because, well, our biblical geography game is pretty weak at best. Geography is important. There we go, Phil. No, he's not. Um, and Jesus, see, um, he's now in, in the region of Tyre. This is really, really far away from where he spent most of his time in Galilee, a long way away from the Jewish kind of region of Galilee. In fact, he's deep in Gentile territory. And that's the word we're going to be saying over and over again this morning. So Gentile basically means someone who's not born Jewish. So like, I'm a Gentile. Probably most of us here are Gentiles. And Jesus is kind of deep in Gentile territory. And I think he's gone there to get some like peace and quiet. Because in Mark's gospel, the word crowd appears 34 times. That's like over twice a chapter. He's followed by crowds. He, 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 crowds come to him. He's surrounded by crowds. There are crowds everywhere. And I think Jesus is kind of going away to get a bit of peace and quiet, to teach his disciples one-to-one kind of stuff. And yet, verse 24 says, he could not keep his presence a secret. <laughs> if this was in nowadays, you'd, you'd think Simon Peter's there live tweeting their location out. Hashtag life of a disciple. We're in Tyre, guys. But, but, but no, I think Mark's point is, is that Jesus, is, uh, the fame is spreading so much that even Gentiles have heard about him. And while he's there, verse 25. As soon as she heard about him, a woman came and fell at his feet. Verse 26, she was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. This woman is the ultimate Gentile. She's as Gentile as it gets. She speaks Greek, the language of the Gentiles. She's from Syrian Phoenicia, the land of the Gentiles. She's near a town of the Gentiles, Tyre. She's as Gentile as it gets. And in those days, kind of Gentiles and Jews, well, Jews kind of look down on Gentiles a little bit. Gentile women wouldn't go and talk to a Jewish teacher. And yet she's like breaking all these social rules to go and speak to Jesus. And why? Because her little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit. I don't quite think we can understand the agony of that mother watching her daughter go through that. Um, throughout Mark, we've kind of seen impure spirits causing absolute devastation wherever they go, ruining people's lives, wrecking their bodies, and for a mother to watch her daughter and be helpless, that must have been heartbreaking. Like, like, no wonder she doesn't care about social norms. No wonder she's there hounding Jesus, falling at his feet, crying out, help me, Jesus! She's desperate. For a little daughter. And like a desperate mother meeting Jesus, asking for, for, for help for a little daughter. Well, there's only one thing Jesus would do, right? Only one thing that our Jesus would do. Yep. Have a look at verse 26. She begged. And that word begged, it means to beg and beg, and beg, and be- and keep on begging. And like, she'd only need to keep on begging if Jesus ignored her, right? 
Uh, this kind of sounds like a, like a child uh, begging their parent for a pony for Christmas. And the parent just thinking, if I just be quiet, they'll forget about it and ask something more, 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 more standard. But, but, but this isn't a child, an unrealistic dream. This is a mother desperately asking for a little daughter to be healed. Is Jesus ignoring a desperate mother? That's not my Jesus. His heart seems far too cold. And when he does reply, did you see what he says in verse 27? Verse 27. uh, um, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But, But please tell me you caught that. Jesus seems to be calling this woman a little dog. And like, there's not, there's not many ways you can say that in a nice, polite, kind, loving way. Like, that's not my Jesus. His words, they seem too harsh. And he's talking all about bread um, and dogs. Well, that kind of reminds me of, uh, of growing up. These are my three dogs. Oh, there they are. Oh, they look so nice. <laughs> but, but, but growing up, we had three dogs, and there were a few rules. Rule one around the dinner table was, well, you don't feed the dogs from the dinner table. Like classic standard rule, because the dogs have their dry, crusty kibble. <clears throat> and we have our lovely moist roast chicken, plush roast potatoes, pigs in... <sighs> like there's, there's, there's family food, and there's dog food. Dogs don't get family food. That, that, that's kind of the point, right? Rule one, don't bring your dogs on the table. And I think that rule is as old as Mark 7, if not older. Because Jesus seems to be saying to this woman, you're a dog. Um, uh, and you don't get the same kind of food as my Jewish children. He's almost calling her uh, Gentiles, seems to be second-class citizens, not, not even human. That's kind of rude at best, racist, sexist, cruel at worst. Like, that's not my Jesus. His attitude seems too racist. And if bread is a symbol of blessing in the Bible, well, he seems to be saying, hey, you don't get any of the good stuff. You're excluded. A Jesus who seemingly ignores and insults a devoted mother that, that's not my Jesus. What's going on? Well, let's have a little look around because whenever we read the Bible, context is so important. We never read things in isolation. They always come part of something bigger. And actually reading around Mark really helped us understand what's going on. Because do you remember last week in the early part of Mark 7? We learn about um, what Jesus was teaching the Pharisees and kind of he was redefining what defilement, what uncleanliness meant. He was saying that, well, it's a, a uncleanliness is a heart problem, not a hand problem. And the very next thing we read is Jesus going into an unclean part of, part of the world, meeting an unclean woman in the Jewish eyes. See, see I think this is lesson number two. This is Jesus redefining defilement and uncleanliness. Um, 
on holiday with Lizzie's family once, we had the, a really strange breakfast. Like, it was so strange. It looked like pancakes covered in maple syrup. Yum, lovely. But these were not like any pancakes I'd ever eaten in my life. They were flourless, sugarless, banana, egg, and oat pancakes. What is that? That's not breakfast. But anyway, anyway but, but we're all sitting there politely eating away, yeah, because we're British. Mm, lovely. Until our little nephew takes a bite. He was two at the time. He takes his first bite. And like splurts it all over the place. I, like so much respect for little Ez. He said exactly what we were all thinking. They were disgusting pancake things. So much respect for him. And I think, I think that is a little bit like what Jesus is doing here in Mark 7. He is saying what everyone else around him is thinking. It's not what he thinks. It's what everyone around him thinks. He's, he's kind of exposing the faulty hearts and messed up thinking about defilement of the day. And actually, to see this kind of Going back to Matthew really helps because Matthew tells the same story from a different angle. Have a little look what Matthew says. So it came like woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Pretty similar so far. But here's where we get a different kind of, a different camera angle. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps on crying after us. Do you see the way the disciples are treating her? As though she's not even there. They're ignoring her. They're they're thinking that Jesus is too busy, too important to deal with the likes of her. You see that? It's like ingrained in them. And so I think um, 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 Jesus is kind of uh, taking the opportunity here to teach them, and to teach her, to teach them about what defilement really means, but also to teach them and test, uh, well, and to test her heart, her faith as well. Because I kind of see Jesus looking at the disciples as he talks to the woman. He's got lessons for them to learn. And here's kind of why I'm convinced. Because if you notice, um, this is this is kind of the bakery yard of Mark's gospel. We got so much bread packed into three chapters. So we got our little bit, Mark seven, about crumbs and bread. Um, then Mark six. There's a massive feeding. Jesus feeds 5,000 odd people in Jewish part of the world. Then Mark 8, what does he do? He feeds 4,000 odd people in the Gentile part of the world. See, I think what Mark is doing is kind of showing us right here that there is food, there is bread, there is blessing for absolutely everyone and anyone I mean, Jesus heals a Gentile man like a few moments later in Mark's gospel. Like, there's no way that his blessings are just reserved for the Jews. Even his words that he uses in verse 27 kind of give the game away a little bit. He's like dropping little hints for the woman. Did you see it? Verse 27, he says, first, let the children eat. First, I can see him like winking at her at that point. Like saying, there's your, there's your in, there's your in. Keep pushing because there is crumbs of blessing for you. There is bread available for you. And she gets it. This woman, this legend, she understands. She gets it. She's not riled up at being called a dog. Instead, she jumps, she leaps at the offer of mercy. Verse 28. 
Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's just saying, give me a crumb of blessing, Jesus. There's bread for me. I know it is. Just give it. And again, back to the Demetrio dogs. Different photo this time. They're so cute, right? It's not just me. They're massive, but they're lovely dogs. And rule one, don't feed the dogs from the table. Um, and I was telling my dad that I was going to be preaching about this, these Demetrio rules. And he said, Stephen, make sure you tell everyone where the dogs sat on the, the, the dinner table. Because we had a second rule. Rule two, food on the floor is fair game. And the dogs knew it as well. So there we are, dinner table, dinner time. And can you guess where the dogs are sitting around the dinner table? If you've seen me eat, you will know where they're sitting. All three of them circling my chair because when Stephen starts eating, there is collateral damage. Food flies absolutely everywhere. They knew it. Even now, in my my 30s, go home and they're still there around my chair waiting for the crumbs, waiting for the food because food on the floor is fair game. (laughs) And I think, like, I think that's what this, uh, that's what's happening here in Mark 7. A woman kind of knows rule two. I love her persistent, dogged determination. She keeps on asking for blessing. And Jesus loves it too. Look at his reply. He told her, verse 29, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed. A demon gone. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. And this is a truly staggering watershed moment in Mark's gospel. In the history of the world, actually. It's an emphatic statement from Jesus that anyone and everyone, Jew and Gentile, can have access to the overflowing, bountiful, blessed bread and blessings of Jesus Christ. This is huge. Jesus is the saviour of the world. Um, Rebecca McLaughlin, absolutely brilliant author, she said, because we're all immigrants to the text, it's harder for us to see the, the, the racial and ethical walls being demolished by the gospel wrecking ball. Isn't that class? Jesus is that gospel wrecking ball that comes in to smash down any barriers of race or exclusion. What a guy. This, this is our Jesus. And the disciples had to learn that lesson and had to get into their hearts. And I wonder if it needs to get into our hearts too. See, isn't this a real powerful word in our present time and day where racism is a real hot topic at the moment, as it should be? Jesus is the saviour of the world. He crashes down all race barriers. And I wonder if Well, that means it needs to work in our hearts too. See, wherever we see uh, shades of racism, in in our heart or in culture around us, as Christians, we stand up, we say no, we stamp it out, we cut it out, because Jesus, he's the saviour of the whole entire world. And I wonder if our kind of living emphasises that. Do we kind of invite and sit sit next to people at church, like, who are just like us? Or are we showing by where we sit that he's the saviour of the world? Do we kind of invite people around to our house who are just like us? Or are we again showing that he's the saviour of the world through our lives? 
In our prayers too, we often kind of pray quite small and localized for our country or for, or for, or for people in our spheres. Do we pray bigger? Pray for the persecuted church? Pray for, for stuff happening with Ukraine and Russia and for our globe, for our world? He is the savior of the world and our lives have got to reflect that too. Um, and I think as well, kind of this has a big play for mission. Our Lord Jesus cares about world mission. His big plan is not to save people just like Stephen. Thank you. His big plan is to save people from Germany and Ghana, from Ireland and and India, from Peru and Poland, from every walk of life, every area, into one family with this woman to praise and worship him, the the saviour of the world. That's our Jesus. And there's a little bit more for us too. I love the way Matthew records it. In Matthew 15, uh, he says, here's what he puts down. Jesus said to the woman, you have great faith. I love that. Her faith wows Jesus. Her faith wows Jesus. And in the Gospels, it's only ever Gentile faith that wows Jesus, by the way. As a sharp contrast to the religious leaders who kind of ignore him. They are wowed and amazed at Jesus. Oh, sorry, Jesus is wowed and amazed at her. And why? See, I think it's because of her incredible perseverance and immense humility. That perseverance, she keeps on asking, she keeps on pleading, she keeps on going despite the cold shoulder, despite the disciples' mutterings and snidey comments, she keeps on asking for her daughter. Wow. And what a model of prayer as well, right? Persistent. What a prayer warrior. She doesn't stop. I don't know about you, but but I tire so easily sometimes in my prayers. Like if stuff hasn't changed after a year or so, I'm just like, oh, it's not going to change. I give up so easily, but not this woman. I think we need to learn from her example to re-energize our prayer life, to pick up those tired prayer lists and carry on praying because there is incredible power in the persistent prayers of a believer. Stuff happens. And actually, this is a special word to parents, I think, as well. Parents, you have got a real hard job. Oh, raising kids in this world to love and know Jesus. And maybe you're feeling that. Maybe your child's kind of got into teenage years and, and uh, everything you do or say seems to push them away further and further. Maybe they're still at primary school, start a new class and they're struggling to make friends and fit in and you feel really concerned and worried and anxious for them. Or maybe they're a bit older even still and kind of um, have turned their back on, on, on God and on church and are living a life that he wouldn't approve of. Don't give up. Um, talking about the, the little daughter, J.C. Ryle said, hopeless and desperate as her case was, she had a praying mother. And where there is a praying mother, there is always hope. Change that slightly. Where there's a praying mother or father, there is always hope. Don't give up. Parents, keep on praying. If they won't talk to you, that's fine. Talk to the Lord about them. <laughs> Keep on praying. Um, in the uh, That's My Books, 
just as a little game-changing spoiler for you, sorry, the last page, you find your missing penguin. And it tells you what sets apart your penguin from all the other penguins out there. So this one is because its baby is so fluffy. Lovely. Fluffy stomach. And as we come to the end of Mark 7, like, I hope you'll be able to see what makes Jesus stand out above all others. See, this is our Jesus. His mercy is staggering. Because have a little look at the woman's humility here in verse 28. She says, Lord, even the dogs under your table eat the children's crumbs. You notice she calls herself a dog. She calls herself a dog. That, that's humility right there. She knows that she has no right to, to, to receive anything from Jesus. She, she is as, as spiritually far away from God as is possible. She has nothing to base her request on, but she still goes to Jesus and says, please help me. I need your mercy, your undeserved kindness. And what does our Lord God Almighty do? He hears the humble and he feeds her. This is our Jesus. His mercy is staggering. Jesus who would die on a cross for the whole entire world. Jesus who, who lavishly offers mercy to all who come. No matter what part of the country we're from, no matter what, what part of the world we're from, no matter what, how old we are, he offers mercy and grace to all who come. This is staggering. As human beings... We're dogs. Dogs who have no right to eat from the Lord's table. And yet our Lord Jesus, because of his death on the cross, doesn't just kind of brush a few crumbs our way. No, he invites us to sit and eat with him in eternity at his table. Not as, not, not, not as dogs, as cherished and loved sons and daughters. That's our Jesus. His mercy is staggering. He doesn't save good people or nice people or people of everything together. He, he saves sinful dogs and calls them family. And I think when we remember what we were like with that humility, how can we be anything but staggered and blown away that our God would choose us and feed us? Um, and that's what we do every single time we have communion. We say these words. These are my favorite words that we say in the church. I love them. And do you notice whose words these are? These are women's words in Mark 7. We are saying with her, God, I don't deserve anything from you. Feed me with your mercy. We say we do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather a crumb under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. His mercy is staggering. Remember that as we take communion a bit later on. As our Lord Jesus feeds us from the table, let the sunbeams of his mercy warm our frosty hearts. This is our Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing saviour. 
Jesus, the Savior of the world. Thank you for his outstanding, outlandish, incredible, staggering mercy that he feeds people like me, people like us. Father, help us to remember that and to be amazed at that as we eat this bread and wine later on. Amen.